probably know that the Antichrist is called the Beast. But you might not know that the book of Revelation actually mentions two beasts. Today, on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah turns his attention to this second beast, the false prophet, the evil figure who puts the Antichrist's treacherous plans into action. Listen as David introduces today's message, The Beast from the Earth. Well, there will be a great uh, religious uh, dynamic to the future. One day, uh, there will be a beast that comes to life. An altar uh, will be built to this one whose power will enable him to call down fire from heaven. And uh, actually, this beast, this image will speak. It will be an idol that is set up during the time of the tribulation, and uh, the Antichrist and the false prophet are right in the middle of it. We'll learn more about that today as we look at Revelation chapter 13 and verses 11 through 18. As you've heard um, our announcer say, this is the beast from the earth. We are going to complete this message from today on Monday. And let me give you just a little bit of information about what we'll talk about next week. You probably know if you've read anything about a prophetic future, that there will be many who will be martyred for their faith. And a revelation tells us about that. We'll talk about that uh, Tuesday and Wednesday. And then here's one, again, uh, an iconic uh, number that people know about but don't know often what it means. Thursday and Friday, we'll discuss the 144,000. Who are they? What will they do? What will their impact be during the tribulation. But for today, we're going to finish up this week with part one of the beast from the earth. And without any further ado, let's get started from Revelation chapter 13 and verses 11 through 18. The TV cameras were trained on the trim, middle-aged man who sat ready on the interview set. The director's fingers signaled the last five seconds of the countdown, and the program host began. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to America's number one Sunday morning news show. I'm your host, Timothy Martin, and today I'm honored to have as my guest a man who is undoubtedly the most talked about religious leader in the world today. Would you please welcome Archbishop Damon Detherow, recently appointed head of the United Council of World Religions. Martin stood as death row entered. He shook hands with the host and beamed at the crowd until the applause subsided. Archbishop Dethero Martin said, I'm sure everyone in our network audience knows all about what you've accomplished in your illustrious career. You were originally the pastor of an evangelical megachurch. You gained a wide following through your mesmerizing oratory, your religious insights, and your uncommon desire to unify people of all faiths. And then, after 20 years, you left your pastorate at the peak of your success. Can you tell us why? Well, I left my congregation because it became clear that God was calling me to a much broader ministry, one that reaches out to people of other faiths as well. By other faiths, I presume you mean other Christian denominations, Martin said, like Baptists, Presbyterians, Methodists, maybe Catholics. 
Well, yes, I do mean Christians of any stripe, the pastor replied, but God is calling me to reach out even further. His tent is much larger than we think. I am reaching out to all who believe in a higher power. Are you saying that Hindus, Buddhists, Muslims, and Christians all worship the same God? Death Row beamed his trademark smile. That the Buddhists or Hindus or Muslims may not see God the same way you and I do does not mean they are not connected to him or that their religion is not authentic. The truth may seem strange to us, but they see it as illumined by their own light within. Bishop Dethero, what is your ultimate hope as Archbishop of the United Council of Word Religions? Well, my hope is, with God's help, to bring about unity among all religions. In other words, Martin said, you hope to achieve a one-world religion. Among those watching the interview was Judas Christopher. And when the program ended, Christopher called his aide and he said, Chambers, have Archbishop Dethro flown here immediately. I must meet with him. The next day, a dazed Archbishop Dethro sat in a plush chair by the fireside at number 10 Downing Street, facing Prime Minister Judas Christopher. With little prelude, the Prime Minister got right to the point. You made it clear in yesterday's interview that your goal is to unite all the religions of the world. How quickly do you think you could achieve your goal of a one-world religion if you had the power of the state behind you? Dethero felt his heartbeat quicken. What are you thinking, sir? Consolidation. Just as the time is right for a one-world religion, it is also right for a one-world government. You have my attention, Mr. Prime Minister. Since your goal in the religious realm is the same as mine in the political arena, I propose that you and I form a liaison and unite our purposes. Well, I, I hardly know what to say. I'm humbled that you would think to include me. Christopher rose to his feet. Well, I would love to keep discussing this, but it will have to be at another time. I have an important event to attend tomorrow, and I must prepare. The next day, Archbishop Dethero rose early, still heady over the opportunity that he had been offered. His mission in life was about to be combined with the authority of the state, headed by the most influential leader in the whole world. Just before noon, he took a break for lunch and flipped on the TV, and immediately a news flash interrupted the regular programming. Ladies and gentlemen, we have just learned that Prime Minister Judas Christopher has been shot in the head while delivering his speech in Rome. According to the attending physicians, he has sustained mortal wounds and he will not survive. Dethero fell back into his chair, stunned. He stared at the screen as reporters regurgitated the horrific details over and over. Four hours later, Dethero entered the ICU in Rome's Salvatore Mundi Hospital. The secret intelligent agent met him at the door. We want you to say a prayer over the prime minister before he dies, the agent whispered, and a cameraman is here to record the prayer so it can be broadcast all around the world. Dethro was ushered through a cluster of dignitaries to Christopher's body, which lay still amid a tangle of tubes and wires. He stepped up to the bed and he began to pray, still trying to absorb this turn of events. Suddenly, everyone in the room began murmuring, and one of the nurses shrieked. Dethero opened his eyes and jumped back. The prime minister was sitting up, looking strong and healthy, as if nothing had happened. A nurse quickly attended to him. Gasps filled the room as the onlookers caught a glimpse of his head. There was no evidence that he had ever been wounded. 
The next morning, Archbishop Dethero again sat in Judas Christopher's office. This time, the atmosphere was eerily different. He felt a sickening chill creep over his spine the moment Christopher entered the room. It was as if some invisible evil presence accompanied him. But since Dethro didn't believe in the concept of evil, he sort of dismissed the feeling as superstition. Mr. President, Dethro blurted out, like the rest of the world, I am still reeling from your miraculous recovery. There is no way you should be alive, and yet here you sit, strong and healthy, without even a trace of your encounter with death. Can you explain this? Christopher replied, Deep down, I think you know who I am, and I think you know who you are. Archbishop Dethro did know who President Christopher was. As he looked back on his quest to unite all religions, he now realized that from the very beginning, he had actually been in the service of a dark master, the arch enemy of God. The archbishop threw himself wholeheartedly into Judas Christopher's quest to clinch political power by fusing it with the universal impulse to worship. And he knew just what he needed to do. They must redirect worship from the world's multiple gods to one godlike being. If they could capture people's spirits, their minds and their bodies would soon follow. So Dethro had a massive altar built in the temple, and he called people to come to Jerusalem to witness the return to the traditional Jewish sacrificial system. With a large crowd gathered around, he proclaimed, This is a day to celebrate, regardless of what religion you subscribe to. As a symbol of our solidarity, let fire come and ignite this offering. And sure enough, the offering went up in flames, and the event was the talk of every synagogue, church, and mosque around the whole world. Next, Dethro conscripted a group of talented sculptures to carve an intricate statue of a man. More than 30 feet tall, the statue was of heroic proportions in the classic Greek style. The face was an exact likeness of Judas Christopher. Christopher made plans for Dethro to return to Jerusalem to initiate their one-world religion in the newly constructed temple. The appointed day came, and the temple's court of Gentiles teemed with thousands of spectators. Jews and non-Jews had flocked to Jerusalem to witness this historic occasion. Electronic screens the size of billboards had been erected throughout the temple court, assuring everyone a clear view of the proceedings. When the clock struck noon, Archbishop Damon Dethro stepped to the podium. Ladies, gentlemen, and noted guests, I welcome you to this historic occasion. Today I have the honor of dedicating this temple as the central place of worship for the entire world. Two men stood before the curtain that covered the most sacred place in the temple, the Holy of Holies. They gripped the edges of the massive curtain and parted them. The Ark of the Covenant was gone, and in its place was the now 30-foot image of Judas Christopher. As they watched, the image raised its arms. The people gaped as it opened its mouth to speak. Today, I announce that I am not only your political ruler, I am also your one true God, and you must have no other. Serve me, and you will prosper and live long on the earth. Continue to serve your little gods and spirits, and you will surely die. Let those who have ears to hear, 
hear and obey. The crowd sat in stunned silence as Archbishop Dethero again stepped up to the podium. I now call for a moment of silence during which all of us in this assembly and beyond will fall to our knees and bow to the image as a sign of our allegiance and devotion. In the next week, Archbishop Dethero co-opted time on every network to deliver an address to every nation on earth. Citizens of the world, listen as I declare to you a new law that President Christopher has issued by executive decree. To put an end to the current economic crisis and correct the historic imbalance between those in poverty and those with plenty, he has devised a system to ensure that food and goods are evenly distributed throughout the world. Every person on earth shall be given a number enabling him to buy and sell the food, goods, and services necessary to function in society. There will be no exceptions. Every individual must carry his or her assigned number as a license to participate in commerce, either as a supplier or as a consumer. By accepting this number, you will agree to discontinue worshiping any god of any religion. Peace and plenty will come only when religious divisions are obliterated. All people must unite in worshiping the undisputed master of our world. Judas Christopher, who is the physical manifestation of the power of the air, anointed to bring this planet into a new era of peace and goodwill. Over the next several weeks, the process of assigning the numbers proceeded in earnest. One evening, as President Judas Christopher and his sidekick, Archbishop Damon Dethrow, sat together by the fireplace in the presidential palace, an aide knocked on the door, entered, and announced that the numbering of the people of the world had been completed. Now, I didn't just make this story up. I didn't just get a creative writer together and try to put together this very interesting story. This is a story that's based upon the Word of God. It comes right out of the 13th chapter of the book of Revelation. And the best way for us to put this together now is to go through Revelation 13, kind of verse by verse, and notice how all of this comes right out of the text. Remember, when you use your imagination, it informs your heart. When you use your mind, it informs your intellect. When you put your intellect and your imagination together, the truth is understood in a way that cannot be understood any other way. So let me give you the scripture behind the story. We don't know for sure how the false prophet will be introduced to the world or what his path to notoriety will be. But it might be something like the story that I just told you. What we do know is what he will be like, what he will do, and what will happen to him in the end. All of this information is given to us in the Word of God, especially here in Revelation 13, beginning at verse 11 where we learn of his profile. Listen to the word of God. I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke like a dragon. John describes this leader as a beast coming out of the earth, which is obviously a metaphor to describe his predatory nature. He's a man. He's called the false prophet three times in the book of Revelation. And the appeal of this man is wrapped up in the way he is described in this verse. Notice, two horns like a lamb and a voice like a dragon. 
You've probably heard the metaphor that he is a wolf in sheep's clothing. He's different on the outside than he is on the inside. On the outside, he looks harmless. He looks caring. He's charismatic. He's likable. He's sensitive. But on the inside, the scripture says, he's got a voice like a dragon. Remember who the dragon is in the book of Revelation? None other than Satan himself. When he stands to speak, he will seem logical. His arguments will be subtle and convincing and appealing. He will have great oratory like the Antichrist himself. He will be able to move the masses to tears, whip them into a frenzy. His deadly appeal will lie in the fact that what he says will sound so right, so sensible, so exactly what unregenerate man wants to hear, like much of what goes on in the pulpits of our churches even today. It is important to understand why Satan has recruited these two evil men. The three of them together form the unholy trinity. Just as God is a trinity, so Satan is a trinity. Satan counterfeits God the Father. The Antichrist counterfeits God the Son. The false prophet counterfeits God the Holy Spirit. So the beast from the earth, or the false prophet, is the third person in the unholy trinity and once again, Satan hasn't had an original idea since he's been on this earth. All he can do is try to copy God the best he can, and he always falls short. He never does quite measure up. Notice what his purpose is in verse 12. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Now, that's all of the basis of that story that I told you a few moments ago. The false prophet will be a religious figure, but his religion will be demonic. In other words, he will be a leader of Satanism. His goal will be to unite the world around the Antichrist, and at first, all religious ideas are going to be encouraged because the multiplicity of our religions will dilute the influence of Christianity, which is even going on as we speak today. But at some point, Satan will attempt to force everybody to coalesce around himself and the Antichrist. And it may seem strange the religious leader would be so central in all that is happening in the tribulation. But we should not be surprised. This has been the pattern throughout history. Religion and political power are the two forces that exercise the most control over human life. One acts as an authority that forces. The other acts as an attraction that draws. Combine the two and the result is virtually absolute power. At the end of the age, religion will be one of the tools that Satan uses to unite the world under the leadership of the Antichrist, which is why the false prophet will be so essential to his success. Notice thirdly how powerful this person will be in verses 13 through 15. He performs great signs in the sight of men, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast. The power of this false prophet won't be his own power. The Bible says he gets it from the Antichrist. Where does the Antichrist get his power? He gets it from Satan. So this is just a connection between Satan to the Antichrist and from the Antichrist to the false prophet. It says here that he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do. In other words, he's given power to do this by the Antichrist. And the power of the Antichrist, the power of the false prophet originates with the dragon, with Satan. 
If you don't think he's going to have power to do great signs, listen to the words of Jesus. In Matthew 24, Jesus said, false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Jesus said he will be so deceptive, he will be so good at what he does in his deceptive work that the Christians who are alive then would be deceived if God didn't protect them. Even the elect might be deceived. Now, John tells us in this little text we have in front of us three ways he goes about this deception. First of all, the Bible says he calls down fire from heaven. Notice verse 13. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. Remember now, he's a counterfeiter. He's a mimic. All he does is try to do what God does. How many of you know that on occasions God used fire? When Sodom and Gomorrah were judged, the Bible says they were consumed by fire from heaven. There were a couple of people in the Old Testament named Nadab and Abihu, and they were careless in the offerings of the temple and the tabernacle, and they were consumed by fire from God. So here is the Antichrist. He wants everybody to think he's the God. He's got to come up with a fire thing. And so it's interesting that there's much more to his deception than meets the eye. Let me just explain to you what I mean. If you read through the Old Testament, you come to the last book of the Old Testament. It's the book of Malachi. When you finish Malachi, the Old Testament is done, and there's 400 years that pass before the New Testament starts. Just before the end of the book of Malachi, Malachi the prophet says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. In other words, Malachi said before the Lord comes, He's going to send somebody in the way of Elijah as a forerunner. Elijah's going to be kind of like the John the Baptist of the second coming of Christ. Now, listen to me carefully. Hundreds of years before Malachi wrote his prophecy, Elijah called down fire from heaven on Mount Carmel. He did it in front of the 450 prophets of Baal, and that fire consumed the water-soaked sacrifice as a testimony to the power of Elijah's God. you remember that story? Listen carefully. Elijah is the only Old Testament prophet to call down fire from heaven. The only one. And God said he was going to send another Elijah before the coming of the Messiah. So the false prophet will try to convince everybody that he is Elijah because he calls down fire as Malachi said the coming of Elijah would be. It is a deceitful attempt to give an air of legitimacy to his presence. Men and women, I gotta tell you, as I study this book over and over again for all these years, one of the things that just overwhelms me is the incredible illustration and power of deceit. And I'm reminded that even in our culture today, that's the one thing that we are most vulnerable to how easy it is for us to be deceived. And you know, it's almost more than I can do to keep quiet about the deceit that goes on in our culture every day, especially in our government. And people listen to this, they know in their heart that it's not true, but they allow themselves to be um, corralled into the deceit and then it destroys their life. If that's true today, I can't imagine what it will be like when there are two Satan-inspired individuals doing their um, demonic magic on this earth, and people are being drawn after them in droves. 
We're going to have more about the beast from the earth and the false prophet on Monday. But let me take just a moment now on this Friday edition of Turning Point and encourage you to go to church. Over the years, I can't imagine how many times I've said this, that we are not a church. We are not here to replace your church. We are here to encourage you uh, from Sunday to Sunday, but not to take the place of the church on Sunday. So if you have been delinquent in going to church, maybe you kind of got out of the habit during COVID, I want to urge you to get back to church. More than ever before, your presence is needed in the house of God. And I pray that you will take that seriously from somebody who cares about you and wants the best for you. You need to go to church. It won't be a perfect church, and if it is, you will mess that all up, as would I. But it's a place where you're going to find hope and help, encouragement, and where you will be useful to God in providing those things for those around you. So have a great weekend. Go to church. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, Signs, 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse, visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of Bible Prophecy by the Numbers. David's new resource that relates the numbers in Scripture to God's prophetic plan. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue the series, Signs, right here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Do you wish you had a better grasp of Bible prophecy? Then you'll love Dr. David Jeremiah's new book, Bible Prophecy by the Numbers. Grow in your understanding of end times events and discover what the numbers and prophecy mean. This fascinating book is yours with the gift of any amount this month and give $70 or more to receive this book plus two other answer books that will help address your most pressing questions about end times and Bible prophecy. Find out more at davidjeremiah.ca. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. I've seen a few humorous reminders lately about money and greed. For example, the best way to get burned in the stock market is to pick up a hot tip. A friend in need is a friend who's been playing the stock market. People who play the markets are often led astray by false prophets. 
Some of my stocks just went from the financial page to the comics. And the, the only difference between the current stock market and the Titanic is that the Titanic had an orchestra. And here's a better word from the Bible. He who gathers money little by little makes it grow. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's principles of finance on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today. 